love my mom because I love her. Well, I love her because she, because, because, because I just like to hug her. She hugs. She kisses me. I like her and she, and she, and, and, and she makes me cookies. I love my mom because she has a freckle. She gave us a bunch of toys. A million hundred. She helped me get some water to the bathtub for me. And 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 she and she white and she and she looks so pretty. She gives me hugs all the time. I love my mom because she plays with my brother and she plays with me. I love her because because she doesn't do any bad things to me. She takes me to uh, the doctor sometimes. I love my mom just much. I love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. I love you, Mama. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. our message off. Happy Mother's Day to all you wonderful mothers. Uh, we are so thankful for you. Uh, I, know, uh, I know that uh, a couple of these mothers were very excited yesterday as they uh, watched their kids, uh, their daughters, uh, compete in the state tournament uh, down at uh, Peoria. Uh, Molly, who's in the back, uh, she ran in uh, one of the races, and Jill, uh, she ran in four races uh, over Friday and Saturday. And in fact, Jill is a state champion. Uh, she, she placed in, in all, all those events, and, and her team actually, the Indian Creek eighth grade girls, became the state champion team. So they got a big old trophy and great recognition. It's a huge accomplishment. Uh, so proud of Jill and so proud of uh, Molly. Uh, Molly, they got 12th place out of, uh, as one dad said, out of 300 and something schools. Uh, so it's a good way to look at it, and uh, they really did a nice job. But happy Mother's Day. Uh, Reader's Digest uh, takes in a lot of different stories, and I, uh, as a good pastor, I, I spend some time reading these stories, uh, funny stories, and, and so I... I'm going to paraphrase uh, a couple of them uh, to, to share with you. There was a mother and daughter walking down the street, and, and uh, as they were walking down, they saw an old neighbor coming up to them, and, and the old neighbor uh, looks at the daughter and says, and then looks over to the mom's like, is this your daughter? I knew her when she was this high. And then she looks at the daughter and says, how old are you? And the mom immediately answers, 24. And the neighbor goes, wow, and walked away. And then the daughter, who's 35, looked at her mom and said, why did you lie to her? She said, you know, all these years I've been lying about my age, it occurred to me I need to lie about your age now, too. <laughs> well, there's this one son who knew that his mom didn't approve of the girls that he brought home. She never did like them. 
Well, one day he met this girl, and, and, and they started a relationship, and, and he knew this is the girl he was going to marry. So instead of introducing her to his mom, he asked her to bring along three girlfriends with her, and they all came over to the house, and, and they had a fun time of dinner and stuff like that. And, and after dinner, all the girls went home, and, and he goes, Mom, one of those girls I want to marry. Can you guess which one? She goes, the one with the short hair. How did you know? That's the one I didn't like. <laughs> my mom tells me a, a, a story about myself that I was in McDonald's one day as a young man, five or six years old, and I was climbing around on the floor probably and jumping on my brother's backs. And, and uh, my mom, she was driven to a lot of stress with me, I'm sure. <laughs> and she, she finally smacked me. And I turned and I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, that didn't hurt. That was a good thing for my mom, wasn't it? I heard uh, this one-liner that it says, I'd like to be the ideal mother, but I'm too busy raising kids. 80.5 million mothers exist in the United States today. 81% of the women between the ages of 40 and 44 are mothers in the United States. Women, uh, uh, it's said that women, working mothers, are guinea pigs in a scientific experiment to show that sleep is not necessary to human life. Some of you guys can relate to that. Parents often talk about the younger generation as if they don't have anything to do with it. Interesting. There was a Jewish proverb that says, God could not be everywhere, and therefore he made mothers. There was an Irish proverb that said, a man loves his sweetheart the most, his wife the best, but his mother the longest. Mothers are amazing people. There are five million stay-at-home moms currently. Ten million, excuse me, five million stay-at-home, yet ten million single moms. For those moms who work outside the home, there are 888 thousand people that take care of their kids at child care centers. In addition to that, there's another 700,000 people that care for these kids that aren't paid, like grandmas and grandpas and, and that stuff. One stat shows that a mom that works outside the home and a mom that stays at home, they both work an equivalent of two and a half full-time jobs. Two and a half full-time jobs. As you know, mother's job is never over. You and I are all looking for a mother's hug, a mother's meal, a mother's listening ear, a mother's kind suggestion, or just need mom to come in and save us from whatever. The fact remains that, that all of this stuff creates anxiety. One in five women are seen as struggling from depression of some sort. One in five. Many women find uh, that after having children or, or, or dealing with children, they lack energy. They have disrupted sleep patterns. They have difficulty concentrating, a feeling of emptiness, a loss of interest in activities once enjoyed, feelings of guilt or shame, 
a loss of appetite or a tendency to overeat. That, according to Mayo Clinic, women are nearly twice as likely as men to be diagnosed with depression. And along with the depression comes anxiety, eating disorders, and even drug and alcohol abuse. It's a serious thing. But it's not only for moms, it's not only for women, but it's for all people of all ages who fall in depression, fall in, have stress, have anxiety uh, of different sorts. And today I want to take a little closer look and, and see if, if we can glean something from the scriptures uh, that can give us something to hang on to, especially moms like mine who, who, who needed some hope during that time uh, that things will be okay, that really, in the end, the king is the one who's in control. Let's, uh, if, would you pray with me as we start here? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much, and we're so thankful uh, to worship you together. Uh, we're so thankful for our mothers. Uh, just pray that we can uh, not only bless our mothers today, but all days, uh, looking for the people in our lives that, uh, that have strengthened us and that have given us uh, encouragement and, and uh, motivation. But Lord, let us look to you as our ultimate comforter, as our ultimate healer, as our Savior. Thank you for your Son, Jesus. Bless our time. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to look at a familiar story today in the Gospels, and uh, we're going to be in, in the book of Mark. It's a story of, of Jesus calming the storm. Many of you are probably familiar with this story. Uh, Jesus, he's completed a, a, a sermon. Remember, uh, he actually asked for a boat to go out into the water a little while uh, because the crowd was getting so big. And, and, and as the crowd was getting big, he got into the boat and he made his makeshift platform. And, and he shared parables uh, with the people. And as they, as they got done with that, uh, Jesus sat with a small group, the scriptures tell us. Uh, along with his disciples, and he shared about those parables. He shared about the details of, of what he was actually uh, telling them, and he was, he was explaining that he was giving them the secret of the kingdom of God. That's pretty awesome to think about, the secret of the kingdom of God. He shared about putting the lamp, not putting the lamp under the basket, about seeds growing or not growing, about the mustard seed in fact, Mark 4.34b says he explained everything to the disciples. Everything. That's a lot. Jesus explained a lot. Evening finally comes. It's been a long day of ministry. Evening finally comes and Jesus is tired. And he says, we need to go somewhere. We need to head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So that brings us to Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. If you haven't turned there, this is a great time. I know there's Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can probably pull those out. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. 
And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The NIV says, by the way, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace! Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Powerful words. Let's break this down. Let's dig into it. We're going to go through our outline pretty quickly. I'll jump into the final thoughts, and uh, we'll celebrate Jesus together on this Mother's Day Sunday. Well, we see Jesus, uh, first of all, let's, let's look at the whole verse together, the whole passage. We see Jesus wants to go somewhere. He's trying to go somewhere. He's been doing ministry. He wants to go do ministry somewhere else. And, and, and he wants to go the other side uh, of Galilee. Uh, and and he, so he tells the disciples, let's take this boat and let's go. And, and we do see that there's several boats. Notice in there, I had missed this in my prior reading of it, that there's several boats that are going across the sea. Uh, because remember, there's not just the disciples who are with them, but there's other people that are with them at this time as well. And so they're crossing the sea. Uh, it, it's nighttime. Jesus, we find is sleeping snuggled in on a cushion for a good nap. It's 13 miles long and, five, and 8 miles wide is the Sea of Galilee. So I don't know exactly where they're, what point they're going and how far their trip is, but they're going into the sea, and it's dark out. They don't, they don't have uh, nice bright lights uh, to lead the way. And we know that a great storm came up extremely fast, that, that these experienced fishermen weren't expecting. We know that several of the disciples were professional fishermen. Andrew and Peter, James and John, we know definitely they were fishermen. Probably Thomas and Bartholomew were fishermen. We see that later in, in the book of John where they were fishing later on. But, but this storm, it took them by surprise. And it's interesting to look at the story and start placing yourself into the situation. Because often we, we talk about the story and we just see it as, hey, Jesus calmed the storm. He had power over, over the elements, and that's a great thing. That's awesome to hear and think about. But to dig in a little bit deeper and to understand what actually is happening here and, and what's the response. And, and if we were putting ourselves in that situation. When I was a youth pastor in Minnesota... Uh, I, this family had a, had a bass boat, real nice bass boat. And, and they asked me if I wanted to go out fishing one day. And, and so the 16-year-old that I was mentoring, uh, him and I went out fishing in, the, in this lake. And I don't know where it was at from, from uh, that long ago. And, but we went out there. It was about a 20-minute ride. We went out to this specific spot from our landing. And, and we're sitting there fishing and enjoying it. And, and he looks over and, and, and we look at the sky from afar. And man, that kind of looks strange out there. Nothing in the, in the forecast. 
It was about three minutes later. And all of a sudden, the wind and the waves were crashing on us. And he goes, a very mature 16-year-old, he goes, we need to get out of here now. And he just hammered it home. And we, I mean, I was so scared. We we're flying. Lightning's coming all around us. The waves are chopping. Our boat is doing this. One of these numbers. I'm pretty confident we're going to be flipping the boat. It was a scary, scary moment. We did make it okay, obviously. We cut the 20 minutes down to 8 minutes. But it was scary. In the midst of following Jesus, we can follow trouble, find trouble in our life. That's our first point. We can find trouble in our life. And many of you, many of you right here, you follow Jesus Christ. You call him your Savior. You call him your Lord. But you can find trouble in the craziest spots. Me? I was mentoring a young man. And yet trouble came upon us. When we look at the disciples in this story, they were following Jesus. They were taking Jesus to the next point of ministry, and trouble came upon them. For you, it may be doing something special for your family. It may be you were just going to go grab some groceries, and trouble found you. All kinds of scenarios we see trouble come upon us. There are even times where we can become terrified for our livelihood. That's the next point. And that's what's happening with these disciples. They were, they were terrified. They believed that they were going to drown. I heard a story about two guys. Uh, they were camping out, and, and they woke up in the morning. They each got out of their tents. And as they were getting out, still groggy, they looked, and there was a grizzly bear in front of them. And they both stood absolutely still. And the one guy whispered over to his partner, don't move a muscle. And the other guy just slowly went down. And he goes, what are you doing? And... He looked over at his buddy, and the buddy was tying his shoes. And he goes, why are you, you're not going to outrun the bear. And the guy goes, I know, I just need to outrun you. <laughs> fear. Fear is a real thing. And fear saves us from a lot of different scenarios. It helps us handle certain situations. I remember Reggie. I walked outside of the front step, and I heard Reggie screaming. And I looked over in our shed. We have this garage door that comes down, and I could see Reggie's hand like this in the bend of the garage door. In my mind, Reggie's finger was smashed. And anxiety rose in me. And what did I do, Reggie? I sprinted. Reggie believes that, that I was the fastest man alive at that moment. He, he talks about it today. And I got over there, and, and he was fine. He was fine. It, it, 
there was enough of that rubber thing in between where it wasn't an electronic one, it's a manual one. Anyway, he was fine. But their anxiety raised. We hear moms lifting up cars to save their kids. Because that's a good type of anxiety. It saves us. However, sometimes we have anxiety because we worry over stuff because we've lost faith in God. That's when we become double-minded. We discover that we're double-minded toward the sovereignty of our Lord. Isn't that interesting that, that, that when you look at these disciples, you see that they're actually double-minded right here. They, they're asking, why don't you care about us? Sitting there sleeping. You don't care if we even drown. These guys were just told that they were given the secrets to the kingdom of God. And an hour later, they're saying to the teacher, you don't even care about us. You don't even care if we drown. When your kid that did that thing to you over and over and over and kept yelling at you and treating you poorly. Maybe, Mom, you were laying there in your bed and you were saying, Why? Why don't you care, God? Why don't you care about me? Why are you letting this happen to me? Some of us experienced stuff like when I lost my dad in the middle of the night. And you start asking, why? Don't you even care? Are you even listening? Are you even looking into my life? The question is, how are you handling it? How are you handling these tough times of anxiety? Are you questioning God? Are you losing your faith? When something bad happens in your life, are you looking for something else? Sometimes it's alcohol. Sometimes it's eating food. Sometimes it's spending money going shopping or pornography. Sometimes it's showing anger towards other people. Or sometimes it's secluding yourself. Just getting by yourself. You know what? Sometimes, many times, it's going to sleep. Because you think, if I go to sleep, I'm so angry. If I just go to sleep, it'll be done. Or at least, when I wake up, I didn't have to think about it for those hours. This is real stuff that these disciples are dealing with. They're... they're these disciples are truly following Jesus, just like you. This isn't some fairy tale. This isn't some random story. These are real people that love Jesus Christ and follow him, and they are dealing with something immediately in their life, and their immediate response is, you don't care about me. You don't care.
God does care. He does care about what's going on in your life. Every single second. Let's dig into my final thoughts on this passage. We're going to land the plane. I know it's been quick. First, let me say that sometimes our anxiety is caused by our decisions in this life. Our decisions can lead to difficulties. That's not what we see in this passage. We don't see in this passage that the disciples are directly um, disobeying, causing sin, and therefore they're getting uh, anxiety because of their sinfulness. If you are a gambler and you are gambling away the mortgage payment, I'm probably thinking you're going to have some anxiety. There was this guy at our college, freshman, Kevin, I think was his name. Kevin was, uh, he was not that smart of a guy. He lived in our resident hall. I was a resident assistant. And Kevin found his way from the first floor where his room was to the second and third floor where these two other guys were located. And these two other guys were the bookies. They were the ones who took in the gambling, the, the bets from all over the whole school. I knew these guys well. They were, they were nice guys. They wouldn't hurt a flea. But man, they ran a, a lot of gambling uh, opportunities for these kids. Well, the freshmen apparently got in too deep. A couple grand, three grand down. And he was freaking out. Well, one day, I get a knock on my door as the resident assistant. Can you come help us? For, for some reason, Kevin's window is wide open, and it's raining outside, and he's not answering the door. So can you go in there? And I said, yeah, no problem. So I go and knock at the door and open the door. and Yeah, the window was wide open, and almost everything was gone in his room. We assume in the middle of the night he grabbed everything, jumped out the window, left his door locked, and quit college. We never heard from Kevin again. His sin led to the anxiety that was so bad that he had to quit school, that he had to run away. On a quick side note, we, we talked as pastors uh, in length. And we do recognize that there are times where anxiety, sometimes caused by your, your, your sins, and many times not caused by your sins, caused by just life situations. Sometimes uh, there are, in extreme cases, um, situations where medication has to come in. And we understand that. Uh, you, you think of major job changes or job losses or, or moves in, in your life, kid issues, someone passing away. I like how John Piper answered the question. I read a, and study a lot of things that John Piper does. Uh, I'm usually pretty aligned with what he thinks and uh, from his scriptural standpoints and but I like how he answered this about the use of antidepressants. Quote, I encourage slowness 
to use antidepressants. God may have a way forward for someone before they start altering their mind with physical substances. He was referring to Job. And he, and he talked about how Job, how Job didn't use any medication. He sat and, and for a lengthy amount of time worked through that situation with the Lord. Piper continued, However, on the other side, it seems clear to me that the brain is a physical organ with electrical impulses and chemicals, and that mental illness is therefore not merely spiritual. No man can persuade me that all mental derangement is owing to a spiritual cause that has a purely spiritual solution. There are physical damages that happen in life or that a person is born with that alter the brain's functionality. The question then becomes whether we should only pray for it to be healed or whether we might also use medicine to help it. He continues his quote, Just like you take aspirin to get you through a very serious backache, you might, for a season, take some kind of medicine that would enable you to get your bearings mentally so that you can operate without medicine, unquote. It's an excerpt of a, a much longer statement by John Piper. He, he actually started talking about how that will sometimes be what's needed in order to get back into the word of God. Because sometimes people are at, at a situation that you and I maybe can't comprehend or understand. And the older you get, you start understanding it more because you have more and more friends that you become uh, associated with and talk to and minister to. God wants us to use the situations that we're in to teach us and to train us. That's why God allows these situations. In fact, that's our next thought in the outline. It says the light of the world can lead us into woeful times. Did you see that in our passage today? Jesus is the one who led them into this trial. Let us go to the other side. Jesus knew a storm was coming. Jesus knew what his disciples were going to go through. And yet he confidently took them into the storm. We see that over and over and over in scriptures where God takes us into the storm. Not to forsake us, but to strengthen us. So many times in our lives, Jesus is the one who's leading us into these troubled times from our vantage point. We think they're horrible. Sherry and I have been reflecting on this. How, how thankful we should be of whatever those troubled times are. Because so many times during those very, very, very difficult times, we can look backwards and say, wow, that's not how I would have done it. That's not the direction that I would have gone. How did you do that, God? I can't believe we got through that. It's because his sovereignty is much stronger than ours. He is much more powerful than you and me. So you lost your job. Instead of getting mad at the world, Look to God. 
You don't have money for fixing that car. How about you bow down to God and say, how can you have glory in the midst of this? Your kid is yelling at you, disrespecting you, not recognizing you on Mother's Day even. How about you bow down and ask God, give me an opportunity to be an ambassador for you, God, with my child. That's tough to do. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's perspective. And, and I'm, I'm not saying it just for moms. Believe you me, I'm saying it for each one of us. It's our perspective how we handle situations. These disciples were mad at Jesus because he was sleepy. Sleeping on the job. Instead of, uh, of waking Jesus up and, and freaking out, they should have just been nudging Jesus and say, hey, hey, <laughs> I already know you know about uh, the, the, the storm that's happening. Oh, this is good. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. I can't wait. Th this is going to be really good. And you know what? It's actually okay if the disciples said, God, help us. He loves it when we beg for him to come to our save, uh, be our savior. When, when we beg for him to come and, and help us. He literally loves that. Because he is the king. And he wants us to call on him. It's our last point. We should kneel at the power of the king. Kneel at the power of the king. After Jesus was woke up by the disciples, he, he said, Quiet! Be still. And instantly, everything was calm. Instantly. It didn't happen in 10 minutes. It didn't happen in, in, in three minutes. It happened instantly. What did, what did the disciples say? Mark recorded it. Wow. Wow, you even have power over the wind and the waves. They listen to you. already knew the secrets of the kingdom. Jesus already, already gave that to them. Yet moments later they forget when trouble comes their way. And you and me, you and I, we do the same thing. We do the exact same thing. You know, we have the revealed word of God. We see a majority of the story we understand what Jesus taught in, 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 for the most part. We, we see story after story how the Trinity and the power within the Trinity. And yet, you and all of us, we lose trust in Christ. Even if it's in a little moment, we forget who is the all-powerful. 
These experienced fishermen, you know what? They were probably doing everything that they could. All right, you grab that, you grab that. Come on, you get this. We'll, we'll get this. Okay, let's go. Let's row, row, row. And they realized after trying all their efforts, oh my goodness, there's nothing else we can do. Let, let's go to Jesus. Let's wake him up. Because water's coming over and we're going to drown. Instead, they could have gone to Jesus right off the bat. And that's what we do too. Especially moms. You can, you can handle every possible thing. You can do miracles. You can, you can literally heal a wound with your kiss. I don't know how it happens. You can talk on a phone, vacuum the floor, let the dog out, break up a fight between the kids, all while making spaghetti. But yet, even though you're a beautiful, wonderful princess, you are not the king. You, along with all the kids and all the dads, need to look, look at Jesus as the king. He's the one that lived a perfect life. He's the one that, that went to the cross and died for each of us so that our sins could be forgiven. He's the one that was raised from the dead so that we could have hope in our eternity. He sits on the right hand of God. He's the one who's advocating for us with the Heavenly Father. Moms, dads, kids, we bow to Jesus Christ and we recognize him as our everything. He is king.